Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode, Cheaper Than Therapy, season two. Um, today, we're actually speaking to somebody who Danae and I, I love how the universe works. We were brought together through my partner, and she's lovely. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad that she crossed paths with us. Uh, and, you know, with Danae and I in this world of depth, like I always say, the kind of depthy, nerdy stuff, it's always uh, so fulfilling to me when I meet somebody else who speaks the language and can just go there and have these kind of conversations and nerd out on things like archetypes and myths and all the things that I just miss. I miss about being in grad school. I miss about being surrounded with other people that, that talk the talk. So um, I'm always also grateful to be able to bring these ideas and these conversations to people who might not you know, have anyone in their lives that, mm-hmm. that can talk that talk with them. So I feel grateful that Tawny is one of those people. Yeah. I feel like it's funny that you used the word lovely because I feel like, like when you think of her energetically, lovely is the word that comes to mind. She has that just like a really calming energy, but also like there's like a poetry when she speaks about the experience of being human. Um, she speaks to things that, I mean, you can tell that she like writes and sort of has a way of just like speaking to this experience of being alive um, in a way that I just think is lovely. And this episode was nice for us because we got to do a little bit of the geeking out on um, archetypes and mythology and like all of the things that we love talking about from school is really, I think the framework with which she approaches working with clients. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's going to be helpful for people to hear, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's helpful to hear different people's different imagery, right? Like mm -hmm. I work with clients, they're used to my type of imagery. They're used to the kind of vernacular that I use or the way I describe things, but I love being able to kind of, um, bring in other ways of looking at things or other images. I mean, in, even for myself, like, I feel like I just learned some things from her and, and mm -hmm. ways that I was like, Ooh, I love that. That resonates with me. And so now I want to be able to, to bring that out to the people that I work with. And it's always exciting to me. Yeah. I feel like that's the cool thing for us about doing this podcast is we obviously love this so much. We love having conversations with other therapists and seekers and people who love having conversations about being alive and the complexity of it. And it's just nice to bring in other perspectives, certainly selfishly for us to sort of enjoy these conversations, but also for other people to have the exposure to your point when that might not be the conversations they're having all day, every day, you know? Right. So I'm sure you guys will, I don't know. I hope, I won't say I'm sure. I hope you guys nerd out along with us because <laughs> this was a good one. And yeah, she is lovely. It's the best mm -hmm. word. We are so excited to introduce you to our guest today. Tawny Lyons is an integrative therapist, a writer, and coach in the San Francisco Bay Area. She specializes in intentional relating, sexuality, unraveling our conditioning, and love. And you can also find her teaching weekly classes with us in the TAT lab with a focus on attachment styles, which is pretty cool. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs> Um, you know, we, it's funny because we, I met you through the lab, but I know that you knew my partner, John Pryor, right? Yeah, I actually interviewed him in grad school. Uh, um, yeah, I, I found him when I was, before I even was an undergraduate, I think like on LiveJournal or something, because I was so interested in mental health. And there was this, you know, person that was totally different than other mm. therapists and, and made me hopeful that I could go in that direction too. <laughs> I like how paths converge. Totally. Yeah. Well, what I was your, I mean, what was that for you? So, so we're talking great, you know, pre-grad school, we're talking undergrad. What was the, do you know what the pull was towards mental health? Like what, I guess, drew you towards being a therapist? Yeah, totally. Well, I am definitely the wounded healer archetype for sure. Um, from a very young age, I struggled with anxiety and depression I also have mental illness and addiction in my family. So it was something that I faced really, really using writing and poetry from a young mm. age. Um, and then eventually using substances, specifically alcohol relationships to sort of numb my own pain and of coming down this jagged path towards nutrition. I went to culinary school um, and then I wrote and what else did I do? Yeah, primarily, oh, yoga. So then I just, and meditation. And of course, that's all so related to mental health um, from, from, a different, from a different way, not talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Was it through that. your yoga journey that you kind of decided, I want to actually take this next step on that path? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think it was definitely yoga and meditation. Um, also, a lot of self-help books. My parents uh, really grew up seeking. They were definitely seekers of all kinds, really immersed in their own learning. 
uh, through different religions and spiritual paths. And although that was such a beautiful experience to have, I felt like it was also ungrounded for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to, I wanted to be a finder instead of just a seeker. And that kind of led me to psychology of trying to understand from more of a scientific perspective, what was going on, especially mm-hmm. interpersonally. Why were relationships so hard for me and other people that I loved? Yeah. Mm. I love hearing that perspective because as someone who, you know, as you were speaking about your journey up to this point and sort of the, the path that you took to get here, I was thinking, oh, she's, she's a seeker. And I feel like as mm. I, you know, um, looked at your content and sort of followed you on Instagram and anyone who doesn't follow Tani, you have to follow her. We'll give her information at the end. Her page is great. Um, but it's clearly the path of a seeker. And I feel like as someone who's a seeker myself and didn't maybe come from parents that were that, it's interesting to hear the perspective of why that can maybe be a little bit less than grounding for a child. And like, we might like a foundation or a container that feels like this is what's clear for me. Yes, totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how your, how your children will experience it but for me, I mean, it's beautiful I mean how amazing you know I was taught to you know uh, question authority <laughs> right so, I mean, I'm so grateful but at the same time I was like I was like whoa like where's the internal structure for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think that has to do more with consistency I and mean, you're very obviously on a consistent path looking at your Instagram and your life. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, right? That's actually, that's such an interesting, I don't know, just this whole thing has just brought up so many like, ha, ahas or ha moments where I'm thinking, um, you know, for me growing up, there was a lot of inconsistency as well, um, you know, and does that lead one, I suppose, to seek out the opposite, right? So mm. seek out the kind of grounded nature of some kind of structure or stability. Um, you know, I'm very comfortable with change and instability uh, as much as I guess any human yeah. can be, right? Um, but but that is bringing up a lot of like, huh, interesting thoughts. I don't even know if I can articulate them right now, but I'm like, finder versus seeker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is just a definitiveness to the finding. And I just want to stress that I don't mean that in any sort of like, cocky way I, sure. I guess I just mean like it actually is you're speaking and I said to do more of like a spiritual path like a transpersonal yeah. psychology like that kind yeah. of groundedness as opposed to like dogma yeah yeah, yeah. Or, or, or like sampling all which which yeah. can be fascinating and and to your point there's a lot of learning in that um and but I don't usually like they'll use that word, but sometimes when you live in a in a sampler platter it can feel a little ungrounded and like I know a lot about a lot or a little about a lot rather, right? Um, but but getting in and really understanding and diving into something kind of like with both feet, um, mm-hmm. there is kind of like a, a whole, a feeling of being held when, mm-hmm. when you do that. Yeah, that's powerful. I think it's, you know, you said something, Vanessa, that's a little bit like the, the thing we seek that is the opposition to what we have known. And, you know, even as you were saying, um, I'm very comfortable with with change and with shift. And yet... Um, I think there's always like a little bit of like, like I experience you as very structured and grounding and, you know, um, I don't know. It's just making me sort of like question, like what will end up being the outcome for my Right. And well, and so then the question becomes like, you know, you're not the only one that's ever said that to me, obviously, but like, you know, experiencing that. um, And I am like, I do 
you know, I'm structured in the way that I think and the way that I am, the way that I show up, I think because of being raised in a bit of an environment where there wasn't a lot of that, right? Um, mm. You know, we moved a lot and financially we were very ungrounded and, you know, a single mom, like all those things. So my ability to feel very grounded and secure, I think was born out of that. Mm. Um, so there's, there's great resiliency in that. Um, and also it's very difficult for me to tap into let's say the more feminine or, mm. you know, the idea of being versus doing, uh, because that feels unsafe. That feels like my past. Right. Um, so it's like, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Um, were you an only child, Tony? Me? No. Uh, I have four sisters and oh, a brother. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Big family. Yeah. Big family and mostly from different parents. Um, so my mom and dad, had not that that matters, but just to give sort of a family systems view. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and dad had me and my younger sister, Sunny, okay. and then everybody else is older. So in some ways, I was middle child. In some ways, I was oldest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm ten years older than my brother and sixteen years older than my sister. So okay. um, it's a similar experience and different parents, right? So it's a different. It's a it's a similar experience to what you just said. Like in some ways, I'm the oldest. Um, and in some ways I'm an only child because yeah. I was an only child for 10 years. Mm. Uh, and so I can see both of those show up in different ways. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I don't think we talk enough about like birth order and how that kind of affects our psyche growing up. And we have a, a friend, colleague, whatever classmate, um, who actually did her thesis on that specifically on birth order. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it shows up, I would say in working with clients, I see it showing up a lot where I can almost always be like, are you a middle or are mm. you an oldest child? You know, and they're almost always like, I am. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> shocker. <laughs> yeah, it's so real. And it's so interesting yeah. for the two of you to both have the experience of a little bit of like tasting the experience of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it seems yeah. to be a theme. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. world. Yeah. Well, so how do you feel? So once you went into psychology and you did find your way into that journey and onto that path, um, I guess the question is, did it lend itself to a more a more grounded feeling? Like, do you feel like you, in some ways, were able to give yourself that container that you were seeking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, even as an undergrad, I studied psychology and I think it just really did give me this maybe more scientific understanding that I really needed. I'm not really sure why, maybe to prove mm-hmm. something. Um, I mean, I guess to bring up Enneagrams, I'm a four. So my pain is the most unique pain there is, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the romantic, like the artistic, whatever, annoying one. Um, and so in that experience, I think it was really helpful to have, you know, to be given ex- like examples, concrete examples of, Hey, this is normal and it's mm-hmm. okay. Um, and also I know a lot of therapists, they, they say, and a lot of people in general, they say that we're not broken. And I think that that's such a, it's such a beautiful way of looking at the world. But for me, it's actually more empowering to look at me as broken, mm-hmm. um, as a way to sort of reclaim the parts of myself that are broken to become a more nourished whole. Um, Say more about that. That's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want to hear yeah. more. Sure. So, like, I guess how I see it, uh, I the like the Japanese way of making pottery 
I'm sure you guys have heard of that. I'm not going to say how to say it because I'm going to butcher it. But uh, basically, they gild the cracks, right? So they make right. it into those gold, right? literal gold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really love to look at the human experience in that way, that we're all sort of breaking apart in different places in our lives. And if we can reclaim those aspects of ourselves that feel so broken and wrong and bad, then we're stronger and we're, when we become whole. Patty, you know, Tony, as you're saying that, you know, there's something about the way you describe it that feels like if we look at like the pottery and we stay with that image, um, we come to this earth as these babies who are whole, right? Like I love to say like babies come here without sort of any of our conditioning or wiring or stuff put on them. And then we just start to put all of that upon them. And in that way, it can sort of be almost like those are the cracks. Like those are the things that start yeah. to like break that piece of pottery apart. And then as we come into compassion or understanding or um, community or whatever we do to sort of start to heal some of those cracked spaces, yeah. that is returning us to that state of wholeness. I kind of mm -hmm. love holding it that way. Yeah, yeah. It's, I guess it's very, you know, gestalt mm. that way. Uh, like the parts work, but yeah, exactly. The brokenness or what, whatever the flaws of our humanity coming from the conditioning and when we're wounded, especially trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, the other thing that came up as you were talking was how much, you know, I know that we do a lot of work around attachment styles, which I think can be another way that it's really sort of validating in the parts of me that I have experienced as broken or wrong, or there's something about me that just really struggles to attach and have healthy connection. Um, and I know that the first time I read about attachment styles, it just felt so like, oh, I'm not as much of a problem in relationships <laughs> as I thought I was. This is a little bit like, maybe I'm just a little bit more of an anxious attachment, or maybe like this person and the way we interact makes me feel a little avoidant or whatever it is. Um, and Vanessa and I were talking before we started that we don't feel like we got a whole lot of attachment theory in grad school. Um, yeah, so it was like glossed over early, you know, right? I mean, we might've heard the terms and that was pretty much the extent of it. So where, yeah, where did that like interest for you I know Danae and I have talked about it extensively. Like we use it now with pretty much all of our clients because yeah. it has been so profound for us that it almost upsets me when I realize how important it's been in my clients' work that I didn't learn more about it, you know, and that I had to go out and seek it on my own. Yeah, I mean, I had the same experience in grad school. It was in we went we touched in on it when I did a presentation in human development, and um, it's the most well-researched theory of human development that we actually have. Which mm -hmm. We need to learn more about it. Yeah. And yeah. I think I had a similar experience today where I was like, oh, like everything makes sense for me, like when it comes yeah. to relationships. Um, and I, I actually used to have more of a fearful preoccupied or you know, the both um, that comes from not feeling safe in relationship with self or in, with the caretakers. Um, and so that journey of my own healing is what really drew me into looking at people in that way too, of how can I make you feel more safe? How can you feel more safe in yourself? Mm. So Tani, will you give us just like a quick baseline, like say someone's listening to this and they have no idea what we're talking about. They're like, what is an attachment style? Like, will you yeah. give just like an overview that you would give to someone trying to understand what this even is or means? Yeah, sure. 
I see attachment styles as the way to learn the dance that we have between autonomy and connection. And that stems from the way that we uh, related to our caretakers. And then later on, how that affects our romantic interpersonal relationships, not just romantic. So the ways that we're able to healthily attach and then the ways that we have barriers to keep us safe, to keep a healthy or sometimes unhealthy distance, and then to be able to have real intimacy and connection with people. Yeah, and there's four categories, you guys know this, but it's actually really, really, really way more complex than that. There's 16 or 18 subcategories to that. And the adult attachment interview, it takes two years of training just to learn how to properly do it. So we like really? to, seriously, yeah. So like in pop psychology, pop psych, like we, you know, we're all, oh, like we're so easily in yeah. this. Anxious or avoided, which one are you? <laughs> exactly. And it's like, nah, like not yeah. even, just like you were saying, I think both of you were saying it's, it's different in different relationships. It's different at different times in your life. It's more on a spectrum than something that's totally one way or the other. And now like uh, attachment researchers are saying that there's no such thing actually as really secure, which would be mm -hmm. able to somebody being able to, for the listeners, to be able to have intimacy and autonomy and it not really being like a big challenge for either one. That does, actually way. doesn't surprise me. <laughs> when you say that, that my first reaction internally is like, mm -hmm, that tracks. Like the number of people that I've experienced who have um, usually, <laughs> how do I say this nicely? Usually their partners that they bring the attachment conversation to mm -hmm. that will be like, well, obviously I'm secure. <laughs> it's not usually the one that's like, Hey, we should do this like workbook together. Right. Um, it's typically in my experience, the ones on the other end are receiving it. Um, and I've always thought to myself, that's kind of bullshit. And I, you know, I know it's a spectrum because we all can work towards secure, more towards secure as we learn and experience and you know experience safety and um you know what is that what does that feel like but yeah it just tracks so much to be like what is that even and does that really exist like i don't think any human on this planet can say like well i am secure <laughs> right yeah. i'm fully self-actualized <laughs> right. like congratulations <laughs> no cracks in this pottery here i've just been cruising along this whole time yeah that's i mean i do think that's really you know i feel like i talk a lot with clients about like none of this is fixed right like whatever you are experiencing in terms of your attachment like it will shift and it will shift based on like what is happening with your stress like i mean um certainly 2020 I mean I think there's like different ways that we might be more anxiously attached than we would be in a regular circumstance of life oh my God, happens, yeah. right totally. um yeah but that's really validating I think to hear you say like just the level of complexity and how many different ways we can attach and have those styles show yeah. up yeah I'm glad it's complex for sure yeah I mean it's complex and it's almost like when I talk about codependency and I say it in a similar way where it's like, you know, the, the easiest breakdown I say is like, if there's 20 different, let's say, symptoms of codependency in relationship A, one through three might get triggered for you and relationship B, six mm. through 10 might get triggered for you, right? Um, and it just mm. depends on how you relate to that person. I have found that to be helpful. And also I have heard that feels overwhelming because as humans, right, we want things to make sense and be mm, in a clear box. Yeah. And how do I understand it? How can I apply it? Um, and so I also imagine, cause I know for me, I'm like, Ooh, this is exciting. There's more to learn and dig into. And, ah, oh, shit, I thought I wasn't avoid it. And now there's so much more to dig into. 
<laughs> so I just, I can picture other people feeling similarly, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because there's always more work to do, you know, and sometimes that feels daunting. And then also to bring something else into that too, it's like, when do we get to actually integrate it? When do we actually mm-hmm. get to rest and allow it to settle and like really seep into to ourselves? Yeah. That's such well, a- that's a big question, but I almost want to say, <laughs> what's your thought on it? Like when, uh-huh. when do we get to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's really been on my mind a lot lately. And I think that's how I really approach self-love and self-care. You know, we have the, these ideas of like bubble baths and expensive vacations, but to me, self-love and self-care is shadow work and unraveling these pieces of ourselves that we disavow and reject. But then also a part of that is allowing it to, to not be, to not continue that sort of internal surgery on ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. To really cultivate a witness consciousness or stepping back from our own experience and being like, okay, we're in a pandemic. There's a lot going on right now. How can I nourish this part of myself so I can actually allow it to become a part of me as opposed to this theoretical thing? How can I learn to embody it? For me, that includes a lot of journaling with clients in, in, in integration. It includes, it includes a lot of like archetypal or symbolism work or ritual. Mm-hmm. I love the words used of like internal surgery, right? Like I think that we can get in this space of almost obsessing over like the attempt to fix myself and the attempt to evolve and um, and grow. And sometimes I find so often what I'm sitting with with clients is, can I be a little bit more in the space of acceptance of my nature, right? Like this is a little bit maybe just the way I am. And of course I'm continuing to notice what's coming up and hold space for that. But also can I just meet like some of the things about me are just things I need to accept and have a little bit of compassion around. And I think that's just a really important point. And I love the way that you present that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I love what you just said too. And it's like, also when we accept things, I don't know if this has been your, both of your experiences, but that actually gives more room for me to evolve and change and grow. Right. That acceptance right there. I don't know. I was thinking, I don't know if you guys have seen the the video. I forget his name, but he's, I mean, he's got quite a few followers that popped up. I might've sent it to you today where the guy's like, what it sounds like when somebody's doing quote the work. I <laughs> <laughs> can't stop thinking about it and like even so much that John and I were like spoofing it yesterday when he was filming me doing something and it's just like you know and for those of you guys who haven't seen it see if you can search for it on Instagram but he just like you know he's looking into the camera and he's super serious and he's like and I mean it's just about the work and to do the work you just have to do the work and I'm just I'm doing the work you know and it's so hard to do the work and it's just he just repeats it over and I was like crying I was laughing so hard because I think this is exactly what you're speaking to sometimes it's almost ridiculous right and now that he said it too what's what's horrible is now i'm like god that word so now every time i hear somebody say the word i cringe and as three therapists we're literally laughing like how much that is a part of the vernacular and like the way that people are constantly have to laugh at it right i mean right (laughs) right and and you know it's funny because everything kind of has this like duality of you have to be able to laugh at things right and Mm -hmm. the duality of like the shadow to it and kind of the light to it and can we hold both um and make space for both and and it's funny because it's kind of true right Mm -hmm. um but also I don't know, like, what's the balance? How do you hold yourself in a space of like, ha ha, yeah, the work, but also the work is important, (laughs) right? And it's kind of what you're saying about, I guess, 
I don't know, maybe you have like a, an example or something you can speak to, you know, you were getting a little bit into this idea of like kind of archetypal energies and, you know, imagery and how you, you utilize that with clients to say, let's integrate, like, let's almost kind of push pause, which might sound scary, but let's push pause on the surgery part and actually do some integration of what we've cut out so far, what we've kind of uncovered so far in our cutting mm -hmm. open. Um, and I'd be curious, like, what does that look like for you working with clients? And also, Tony, before you answer, be, um, will you even get into like what is an archetype for those who might be listening and are like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously depthy nerds, but you know. <laughs> yeah, you guys went to Pacifica, right? right? Yes. Did you go to okay. CIS? I went to CIS. Yeah, I was going to say, as you were talking and you were talking <laughs> transpersonal, I was like, she must have gone oh, to CIS because right. those are the two yeah. schools that I actually looked at. And so I, yeah. and I've looked into their um, um, PhD program around transpersonal nice. psychology. So I was like, yeah. she must have gone there. <laughs> yeah. John would say Tani speaks the language. She very yeah. much like when she starts talking, you're like, yeah, she gets it. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess I'll speak to my experience with archetypes first, especially because last week, you guys, I came down to Arizona from... San Francisco to see my family. And I had this incredible, crazy, awful experience with my car. It was a big, long thing, but basically I the desert by myself at night on a new moon, and I thought I was gonna die. And so I stayed at this, everything's fine, obviously, but I stayed at this hotel that was like an alien hotel, which I always wanted to stay at when I was a kid. But I was just like, don't, right? But I was also just like in bed sobbing and like, just like, what is happening? I felt like I was breaking apart. And it was this moment of initiation, I think, into letting go of this shedding of the skin for me. And I think that, well, I don't think I know in that moment, there was these two archetypes within me that I've been struggling with my whole life of this wild woman, feral howling at the moon. Mm person within me and then also like this mama earth wanting to nurture and help heal and it's just been such a split for me and for some reason something just clicked um and I was able to marry the two and really understand that it does I don't have to choose one or the other I can be one one day or one moment and it can shift and change and to me that's so much about what archetypal work is is understanding these are just all parts within us yes and they're all okay <laughs> um and so that's you know that's sort of how i experience it myself as i journaled a lot about it that's definitely a main theme in my life and lit a candle and looked out at the black sky feeling really alive you know mm -hmm. um and when i work with clients i first want to say there has to be an availability for that kind of right. work me seven years ago me five years ago i would have been like Fuck that. Right. What are you talking about? <laughs> Howling at the moon? Like, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But it takes some sort of, I don't really know. I think for me, it just took being faced with my own trauma and, and not trying to hide from it. So it really, I, I say all that to, to say that when I'm working with a client, I really have to be careful because sometimes that's not where somebody's at yeah. at all. They want like cognitive behavioral therapy. They think I'm a fucking fool which is fine <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah but really just helping people to choose what really resonates with them and their soul in that moment and sometimes it's you know what's a model archetype for you like is it mm -hmm. queen or is it the wild woman or is it the warrior are you in your sort of night stage right now of conquering with younger men you know and really owning that and then looking up to people to understand it more and flush it out 
I love that. I, and I feel like it speaks to the process of it. And I love the way that you speak to meeting clients where they are in this moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's so often this thing as therapists, I feel like where we'll be witnessing what I feel like if I were you in this moment would be really helpful to me, but I can sense that that is something that is just not going to be, um, that you're not, I don't even want to say ready for, but that's mm -hmm. just like not the space of like, what's going to be supportive of you right now. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with, um, like with tarot with a lot of my clients this year. And I feel like, you know, when I sense it a little bit with a client, I'll introduce it. And sometimes it's like, you know, I really did not appreciate <laughs> that introduction. And it's like, fair enough. We're not there. Okay. Um, yeah. But for some clients, it has felt so supportive and just the deep uncertainty of this year, you know, to have something that's like a grounding exercise that I can pull from. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, and isn't that so much of, I mean, this idea of the collective unconscious, right? I mean, we're all talking depth now, right? So for, you know, Pacific obviously is a Jungian school and, and just to talk about the collective unconscious and to talk about the importance of myth and why myth has been a part of us, us at like the deepest psychic level, the deepest soul level um, is exactly what you were speaking to, Tani, when you were like, you know, are you the warrior? Is this what's coming up for you right now? Because we as beings really do desire that, archetype to look towards to say um you know what did luke skywalker do on mm. his journey oh my right God. let wow. me see how he went out there and experienced all these trials and tribulations and how he had to go through pain and he lost his loved ones and but he came home right and he was he became the hero of the village and all the things and so there is a reason why we desire that there's this innate pull um towards i need to compare myself to an image, compare myself to, um, you know, I, we keep using the word archetype. I'm trying to think of other words so that people can maybe grasp it a different way, but um, stories. A, yeah, stories, mm -hmm. like images, right? It's like we have a very clear desire as humans to have that that we look towards as almost like a shining star to tell us, oh, okay, this is okay. I'm not the first one ever to go through this. Mm -hmm. uh, someone or something has done it before me. This is maybe what the path can look like. Um, you know, these are the pitfalls that I might experience. Um, and so this stuff, while maybe some people might think it's a little woo-woo, I mean, it's, it's really grounded in just our innate humanness, I would okay. say. The full expression of our humanity. You know, we are one thing. Right. There's so many stories that make us. Which yeah. is why for me, I struggle so much with somebody who's very like, let's just do CBT and only CBT, because I think that's so important. And there's also there's so much that's missing and mm. only looking at the behaviors and only looking at the kind of way the brain works. Um, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I mean, I use CBT practices yeah. obviously in my practice too, right? Sometimes it's necessary. And, and I think it's one of many uh, different approaches that need to be integrated into our work, but mm -hmm. there's just so much more, right? Mm. Well, I feel like it also sort of circles back to what Tony was speaking to before, where it's, you know, what I think can be challenging about, you know, strictly using like a CBT model is that it is a little bit pathologizing. And mm -hmm. I think there's something different about, you know, yes, you are broken and we are all broken, right? Like the thing yeah. about archetypes is that I can sort of recognize myself, as you both were saying, in these stories, right? Like um, I'm sort of able to look at the context of my humanity in this whole journey 
as so many humans have, you know, experienced before me, will experience after me. I'm not alone in my brokenness, Mm -hmm. just like Luke Skywalker went off on his hero's journey or just like Dorothy did, whatever it is. um, Everybody else has felt the same thing. And there's so much healing in that for all of us, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you feel this too? Oh, I'm I'm not alone in this suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not alone in this suffering, totally. And then when we have models like Luke Skywalker, then we conceptualize uh, values too and purpose and meaning, which feels really important too, because it's not just a journey for the sake of the journey. Mm. Something bigger than just you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Tanya, what has um, working with clients been like this year for you? Um. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm trying to figure out how to explain that. Um, Well, I mean, we're in this big collective trauma. um, And then I live in Oakland and, um, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going on, obviously, that needs to be brought into our primary awareness and attention when it comes to racial relations in the United States. And that's been really big work. And, Mm. and, um, in my own work with with clients so that there's been two really big things and then we also had fires right the mother Mm. i was gonna say the mother earth component yeah mother earth component so it's been coming from every angle i think people are really holding on by thread right now in some ways but then there's also been this other just very huge component of healing because it's like we were we started this conversation out like where is the foundation that we can stand on Mm. and a lot of my clients, I think, are looking for something deeper, like values or, or spirituality, but it's not necessarily religion or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really, really, really beautiful to witness and hold space for. Um, so it's it's been it's been really challenging, though. I ha- I've been having to really focus on my own self care, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you guys have had to. Um, but I feel lucky. I feel really, really lucky. Mm. yeah it's beautiful what has your self-care been looking like (laughs) these days um so i get like this thing that i call itchy feet where i need to like go i need to go right now (laughs) and so (laughs) and so a lot of outdoors time a lot a lot of hiking every day by myself Mm. um a lot of i've been doing the artist way that like Mm. yeah so a lot of like the three page in the morning, just like getting out everything in my mind and seeing it on paper has been really helpful. That's so important to me because otherwise I start the day and I'm like, everything is just a jumble mm-hmm. everywhere. So that's, that's really the biggest component for me of, of self-care is meeting myself each morning. I love that. Mm-hmm. And yoga. <laughs> yeah. Getting yeah. your body. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I'm noticing, um, myself but also clients you know one of the things i think that's surfacing this year um more than ever is this idea of since so much has been stripped away um you know so many of the things that we used to hide behind or make ourselves busy with or whatever um this feeling of like palpable feeling of loneliness um, Mm. or of disconnection has really come up uh and you know somebody the other day said that that was exactly it like she never realized that she was lonely until now right Mm -hmm. um and it's just this like depth of loneliness that she just doesn't know what to do with and Mm. i guess my question to you would be 
number one, like what's been your experience with clients in that space, but also, um, you know, for people who are listening, who might also be experiencing something similar, you know, what, what would you say to them? Mm. I mean, what I'm thinking about right now is like looking into the abyss and the abyss looks back to you and sort of falling Mm -hmm. in love with that loneliness. Um, not in a melancholic kind of way, but just understanding that this is, you know, we're born alone, we die alone. Mm. And, and really, it's in those moments, I think, of loneliness that we can really meet ourselves in the deepest way. Um, and I think that having a coach or a therapist can really help with the co-regulation aspect of it and feeling safe enough to be able to face that loneliness, that emptiness, that existential emptiness. Mm-hmm. Um, just holding your hand in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I feel like there's all these ways that we are being called in this moment to learn to do things that we haven't known how to do. Right. Like there's this like um, massive boot camp in how to stay with myself in the experience of the discomfort of my loneliness or um, the discomfort and fear that comes up around having difficult conversations that I've never been forced to have before this year. You know, there's so many ways we are, you know, I was, I was saying to some clients last night, like we are being called to grow up and evolve in a lot of ways. Maybe some of us before we felt like we were like ready, like we're being um, jerked into this process of initiation in a lot of ways, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're being beckoned to the hero's journey, you know, like put on your boots. (laughs) (laughs) Get out the door already, damn it. Yeah, totally. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Tani, um, we have some questions that we ask all of our um, guests that we'd love to get into with you. Um, (laughs) So the first one is, who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, people that you look to for inspiration and guidance, um, either people you know or don't know throughout your journey? I love that question. There's been so many different people along the way. Um, the biggest one for me right now is Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm. Um, and just his view on trauma and addiction and non-pathologizing behavior, um, just really understanding us as the multifaceted messed up people that we are. Uh, yes. I, I, had the, I got to go see him actually a couple of years ago and that was really amazing. Mm. Um, so I really look up to him and, um, Weirdly, what just came to mind to me was my aunt and uncle mm-hmm. were the only, from a child, they were the only um, model of what looked like a really healthy relationship to me because mm-hmm. they have five boys and they would do big Christmases and Thanksgivings and stuff. And my mom just reminded me the other day of something that they do. And it, like, there's so much ruckus and chaos all around. Like my family's huge and gregarious and loud. We all talk over each other. It's terrible and and amazing. Um, And my they both of them cook. And in the midst of all of this chaos, they'll walk up to each other, hold each other's hands, look into each other's eyes, and tell them tell each other that they love each other. And I feel this way when you did this. Like when you just did that, I was hurt. And they're modeling this. Um, And even as a child, I was like, whoa! Like I want that. They also like smack each other's boobies and stuff. So I was like, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, 
I love that so much. I was just teaching a reparenting class earlier this morning. And I think that, you know, we can, you know, be reparented certainly, but also we can be those figures modeling things to the children in our lives, whether they're our children or not, right? Like we can draw that from so many different sources. And so many of us had an aunt and uncle or, you know, like a, a mentor or someone in our lives who showed us like everything that's happening within my family system may not be the only way that things can be done, right? Like something else may yeah. be true as well. Yeah. And sadly, so many of us don't have too you know and I think that's where this really comes into play too like the Adams family like Morticia and Gomez they had an amazing relationship yeah. maybe somebody could look to that yeah <laughs> I love that yeah again there you go like you said the importance of myth right the yeah. importance of finding that kind of image outside of yourself to look towards and say oh there's that model that I can that I can experience that I didn't, I didn't have it at home yeah. mm. yes so the next question is, what do you do or how do you find yourself? When do you find yourself in a state of flow? What does flow feel like for you or look like for you? Yeah, flow. I experience flow when I'm really deep in philosophical conversation with people, hmm. um, especially when it relates to like the transpersonal or spiritual or something where it's like you're feeling in that moment that you're speaking to them on a soul level. All your masks have gone away. Like you're not performing, but it's like, you're just meeting each other heart to heart. Mm. I love that. I could spend, like, I really would love to have an old French school salon. You know what I'm saying? Like where everybody gets together and you just like bullshit, but not bullshit, like authentic bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that you would have been on our drives to and from Pacifica together because sometimes I feel like that was Danae and I for the hour and a half each way, you know, just having those kind of, you're stuck in a car and you just go and you go and you talk and you talk and, you know, you're coming off of a weekend of just being super um, stimulated in that yes. way. And, and yeah, I'm like, my heart's so happy as I'm listening to you say that, Tawny, because I feel like, you know, people who know me in certain realms of life are like, you're so introverted and don't like small talk and don't they will say I don't like people which is not true I do like people I just don't like to get you're like Glenn Doyle right <laughs> I'm you like the idea like... of humanity it's the individual people that you struggle with right? <laughs> yes <Yeah>. yes <laughs> but in these depth-filled conversations where we're talking about you know I could do that forever that's why I never feel depleted doing this work because it's like yeah let's talk about something that that matters like let mm -hmm. me see you and I, I could do that forever. I just love those conversations. Well, and not to go on a tangent here, but isn't that interesting? Like, when do I feel the most depleted when I'm working in a client situation is usually when they're just giving me the surface, 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 and they absolutely refuse to go deeper. And while I understand that they're not there yet, that their defenses are up, that they do okay. not feel secure enough to go there, like, I get it. And it's kind of exhausting, mm -hmm. right? Because human to human, take the therapist off the, off the table. It's an exhausting way to be across from somebody when all they're giving you is the mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, where are you? Right. Where are we making contact? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It feels like that's why for so many people, as much as this year has been challenging, it's also been enriching and um, there's an aliveness in the fact that so much of our filters and our personas and the ways that we sort of armor up have been put down because nobody's like you know skipping through life on a beat like everything's a little bit more challenging we're a little bit more real yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so the next question Tony, is what breaks your heart 
Mm. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, oh, casual. Man. Real cat, real cat. <laughs> uh, you know, that's funny. It's reminded me of when I was a teenager and I used to say my heart was, would be broken every day in so mm. many tiny ways. And I still think that that's true. Mm. But um, when is my heart broken? I think in those moments of not being able to connect with people, I have that yearning and when it can't be met, I mean, not to sort of say that somebody is on it is like not as, as far advanced as me or something like that, but just when there isn't that connection with the human, it breaks my heart because there, it seems like there's so much possibility there and potential and mm-hmm. learning and growth and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, especially when it comes to like arguing about really important things, like it can be a lesson. So finally you're saying that because right? literally as you're talking, I was thinking, God, those conversations about politics with like my family, for example, yes. and that's exactly what popped into my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I know I go to my old defenses of anger, sure. rage, yelling, like tough girl thing like that. I go into that mode and that hurts me mm. so much. Mm. Um, so yeah, that breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point that it's like, we don't think about, it is painful to be armored up. It is painful to other, you know, our fellow humans. It just feels so much better to find the spaces of similarity, the spaces of, um, you know, our, our shared humanity. I feel like yeah. that's, oh, do we need some more of that? Yeah, of understanding. Mm. Yeah. And then the last one is, not as heavy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is your favorite food? My favorite food. Hmm. I like chocolate. <laughs> the go-to. The go-to. Yes, I yes. Mean, like, rich cacao. Mm. Like super into that. Also, I love that the the the, the real word for cacao is the abrama cacao, which means food of the gods. Which I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> which is like yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it takes, like, just to be, like, silly or, like, too much about this, I think it kind of brings the God out in everyone, you know, mm. like, like, cacao ceremonies, I really love those, I think I mentioned it one time when we were all chatting, but um, it just really brings you, me into my heart space. Mm. Oh my God, I can't believe what they come, <laughs> listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Except that Vanessa and I are like, yep, absolutely. Girl. I know, and people can see us, we're all nodding like, in mm-hmm, agreement. Mm-hmm, yes. Yep. <laughs> listen, people listening know at this point that we're, like I said, depthy nerds. So oh, yes. you're either on board or you're not. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If you're not into the depth, you've tuned Get out on the woo train, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It That's feels it. so good to laugh at it, though, too. Right. Sorry. Yeah. That. I mean that goes yeah. back to the, the the work the work joke right it's like yeah. you gotta be able to see both sides of it yeah in the dark like yeah. not take ourselves too seriously because we all gonna die yeah. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. yeah well we want to let everybody know that they've got a few ways to find you to get a hold of you um, you know obviously we work with you most often in the, the lab the TAT yeah. lab for those of you guys who don't know about it uh, check it out it's tat-lab.com um, and Tony teaches a few classes on attachment styles yeah and I'll be doing one on um, adult children of emotionally immature parents oh nice be a good one yeah, yeah, excited yeah, for that. that. And where can they find yeah. you on Instagram, on the webs? Sure. 
Um, my Instagram handle is T-A-U-N-E-L-Y-O-N-S, Tawny Lyons, and that is also my website, tawnylyons.com. And that's where my presence is online. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tawny, you are just such a pleasure and just so mm -hmm. lovely to find. I'm so excited to get to know you, and I've just really enjoyed following all of your content. It's just really inspiring and powerful and uplifting so definitely follow tawny if you don't already and just keep doing this the work girl <laughs> <laughs> we all gotta keep doing the work you know That's it. <laughs> this is amazing. thank you this is so lovely you guys are super warm and i enjoy learning from both of you oh, right back at you girl Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.